and welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast for Sunday, June 5th, 2022. Today's sermon will be from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 20 to 22. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. Hebrews chapter 7. I'm going to read today only verses 20 to 22. And then, then I'll pray, and then we'll get, we'll get started. <clears throat> Verse 20. And it was not without an oath, for those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. And then verse 22, we're going to pay particular attention to today as we take the Lord's Supper. Because our Lord Jesus says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me. And so verse 22, this makes Jesus, speaking about this oath, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, again, that we can come together. And uh, Father, we know many are missing today as a, it's the time for vacation in your, in your common grace that you give us these times where we can get away and relax and not work. Uh, Father, pray for those that are out. Pray that you would give them good weeks of rest, relaxation. Bring them back to us, Father, at the appointed time, Father. Bless them greatly. But I do give thanks for those of us who are here this morning. As we take the Lord's Supper this morning, as we remember our Lord's death, Father, the application of the sermon, for sure, is the Lord's Supper. What, what a beautiful picture, what a great drama you've given to us, the church, now, till He comes. We wait till He comes one day, and we do it till He comes. Because when He comes, we will not do this in this way. We will have supper at the feast of the Lamb. And so... For now, Father, we give thanks for it, and we praise you for it. And I pray today that you would work greatly through these words in Hebrews 7, that we would see the greatness of Jesus, his superiority. Pray that he would increase, that I and that we would decrease, Father, in spite of me. I pray that you would work greatly and help us this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The, the, the sermon title move back just a little bit. The sermon title is The Superiority of Jesus' Priesthood. This is part two. So we're going to have another part next week, and then we'll finish up chapter seven next week. But as we've seen throughout chapter seven, particularly, it's about, we see this word perfect, perfection. The perfection of Jesus' work as our high priest. To put it another way, as we've seen, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the Levitical priesthood was under Mosaic law and the Old Covenant. 
And our author is exhorting those Hebrew Christians, particularly, and us, but particularly in that context, to move on to maturity, to leave the elementary doctrines of that system, and to fully embrace and look unto Christ, who has fulfilled that old covenant and brought those things to an end. Look at verse 11, chapter 7, verse 11. Now if, there's our word, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, then what further need would there have been for another priest? Look at chapter 7, verse 28. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, here he's comparing the law of Moses, particularly that priesthood, with the word of the oath, speaking of this new priest, the Lord Jesus, high priest, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now, as you know, through my preaching, I always like to get gardening illustrations in. So I'm going to try one for today. I think of the old farmer, and I'm not going to go into too much detail. I'm sure you had their ways of planting their rows, but I'm talking about big farmers who had, you know, not a, like farming lands, but somebody had an acre or two of land, and they would make those rows, really long rows, and they were going to plant, you know, seven or eight rows of beans or whatever they were going to plant, and I'm not sure exactly. I think you used to be able to run it with a tiller, but even before that, they would plant those rows. They would just have to basically just go every little bit. Just put it in, push it. My grandpa used to say, how far do you put it in? He said, oh, about that much. You just push it in just a little bit, put the bean in. But if you do five or six rows like that, you probably got an hour's worth of work or more, a couple hours worth of work. And then at the end of the day, your back is hurting. Well, the coolest invention ever is the planter. You ever seen a little plastic planter? It's not very big. It's the coolest planter ever. And I, I thought I lost it a couple weeks ago. And I was like distraught. I thought somebody, I left it out in the yard, somebody stole it because I'm thinking everybody would come and steal my planter because if everybody knew how good that planter was, they would not go back to anything else. Well, I know that's not the best illustration, but in the same kind of way, thinking about the old covenant, the new, the new has come. Why would you go back to bending over and hurting your back when you can just take that little planter? Why would you go back to that old system when it's, it's not perfect? It doesn't have the power to make perfect. It doesn't fulfill. So that's an illustration, I think, that helps us think about how Jesus, the Son, has ushered in a new priesthood. This is why we have this whole topic. We're still under in chapter 7. We have the topic of Melchizedek. And I'm just going to bring us back up to speed for just a moment. He was the priest of Salem, which I believe to be probably Jerusalem, but way before it was Jerusalem. And he blessed Abraham when Abraham came to him after rescuing Lot and coming back from war. And he, he blessed Abraham, and Abraham gave him a tithe there. And in Genesis there, where it speaks about it, it speaks about this Melchizedek, but it doesn't say anything about his birth. It doesn't say anything about his death doesn't say anything about his genealogy, where he came from, or anything like that. And then, this is way back in Genesis. When do we see it again? Psalm, if you would, go ahead and turn there, because we're going to be looking there a couple times during the sermon. 
turn to Psalm 110. His name doesn't come up again until Psalm 110. And it's 110 chap, 100 verse, chapter 110, verse 4. Or Psalm 110, verse 4. And it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Brothers and sisters, this verse is so important in Psalm 110. So important. It's like a seed that you put in the ground or it falls from a tree and it can be there for a long time. It could be there for years. And then all of a sudden, at the right time, the seed bursts forth and you see the tree come out. This, that's what Psalm 110 verse 4 is like. It's like a seed. It's like a treasure, treasure chest that's just sitting there. You don't know what, what's there. It's hidden under the ground. You find it, and it could have been there for a 1,000 or 2,000 years. But then you find it, and you go, wow, look at the treasures that come out of this chest. Well, this is another picture of what we have in the fulfillment of this verse, in the fulfillment of this priesthood after the order of Melchizedek. And that's what, really, the author of Hebrews is trying to say from one perspective. This is what's happened, guys. Don't go back to that old way because the new has come. And all of the treasures, all of the wisdom, all of God's promises are found in Christ. Here he is, Psalm 110, verse 4. And now, as we move forward till today, and we're here, and we have these verses before us, we hear the words of our Lord. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me. Well, I have really three truths left from chapter 7, and I'm only going to get to one of them today. And it'll be, my sermon is a little bit shorter today, but we are going to take the Lord's Supper, and our application is the Lord's Supper. But here's my one truth. Jesus is superior because... His priesthood is accompanied by an oath. By an oath. Look with me at verses 20 to 22 again. And I don't want to read them again. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Because what's he doing? He's taking Psalm 110, and now he's unlocking the treasure chest. That's what he's doing in Hebrews. All the way up until that time, he said, here it is. So, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus, in the ESV, it says, the guarantor of a better covenant. Now, the emphasis here in this truth, that Jesus is superior because his priesthood is accompanied by an oath, the emphasis here is on the, wor the words, the Lord has sworn. And if you think back to this psalm, in fact, turn there with me to Psalm 110. Psalm 110. Let me mark my place here. Psalm 110. Here in this psalm, 
we see David, who is the author of this psalm. And look at verse 1 of Psalm 110. He says, this is David talking, The Lord says to my Lord. And, and if I'm not mistaken, this may be the most quoted verse in the New Testament, okay? About going back to the Old Testament. I may be wrong there, but, but it's certainly up there. But this is David talking. He says, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Well, this is very interesting because we have one Lord, and it's not talking, David is not the Lord, okay? David's talking about two other lords. He said, here's one Lord talking to another Lord. And this verse is, is often used in the New Testament to prove the deity of Jesus because it is the Father who is the Lord speaking to the Son who is the Lord. And so, in these words, he's making an oath, too. And in this psalm, which we get down to verse 4, he is making an oath. And he says, the Lord has sworn. Now here, he is comparing Aaron and his priesthood with the priesthood of Jesus. So with Aaron, he, be he became a priest by the command of God. This is important. Exodus 28, if you go back to when God called Aaron, here's what happens. Here's what we read. Psalm, excuse me, Exodus 28, verse 1. God says to Moses, here's the command, bring Aaron near and your brother and his sons or his brother, his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priest. So it's just a simple command. Moses, bring Aaron his sons, make them serve me as priests. There's the command. That's all it is. And they obeyed. Simply put, there's no mention of a divine oath. So when we come to Melchizedek, or the, we come to the Lord Jesus, the order of Melchizedek, with the priesthood of Jesus, this is after another order, and there is an oath. So with Aaron, there's a command. With the Lord Jesus, there's an oath. What is an oath? What is God doing? Well, our English term says God swears. And He will not change His mind. Now, we've seen this already in the book of Hebrews. If, you're, if you were here and you remember this, we see, that with, see this with Abraham. as God made an oath. And we often make oaths. We hear, you know, I put my hand on the Bible... And when we go to court, there's our oath. I swear I will tell the truth, nothing but the truth and the whole truth. We swear on a stack of Bibles. We swear on our mother's grave. If we really want to make people know, hey, I'm telling you the truth. You can count on me to tell you the truth. And we are sinful, and we often change our minds. But with God... Since he is immutable, which means unchangeable, he cannot swear by any higher authority. He can't put his hand on a stack of Bibles. He can't swear on his mother's grave. He says, I swear, because what I say is true. So he cannot, and really the oath is not for him. The oath is for, is for us, for sure. He cannot swear by any higher authority. And so when we think about the old priesthood of Aaron, the Levitical system, God did not swear 
with that system. He did not make an oath with that system. He just commanded it, and, it, and it, they, they, they obeyed his commands. So with that in mind, there is a change between the old and the new. The Bible says that Christ is a priest forever, and his priesthood will never change. Well, in the sense, there's change. Actually, theirs came to an end. It certainly changed. Theirs came to an end, but Christ's priesthood will never come to an end. So, brothers and sisters, at the basis of what we're saying, what I'm saying right now, the basis of this text, the promise of God is this oath. And this oath has to do with God's eternal decree. Deuteronomy, do you know what Deuteronomy 29, 29 says? The secret things belong to God. God sets some things in order. Eternal decrees. And they go way beyond what, what we can think or imagine or understand in the Godhead as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit make these eternal decrees. He is eternal. I can't even get wrap my mind around it. But if you read the Scriptures, you go to Hebrews 13, verse 20. This new covenant is also called the eternal covenant. And so it's really God's covenant all the way back from before the foundations of the world that one day would find its fulfillment in Christ. And this covenant flows from an eternal, holy, loving, and merciful God. This is why we can say God loved us. God chose us before the foundations of the world. So let me ask you, how do you know that it is true? Well, we know God keeps His promise because He sent His Son. We are here today because God has sent the Lord Jesus. And if you go back to Psalm 110, and you read that psalm, He is both the King and He is the Priest. And in Psalm 2-7, we read these words. I will tell of the, of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And so now look at chapter 7 of Hebrews, verse 22 again. This makes Jesus a guarantee or a guarantor of a better covenant. Now, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time before we take the Lord's Supper today. I love this verse. It is so full. The King James, if you're reading the King James Version, it says that it doesn't use the word guarantor or guarantee. It says He is our surety. Surety. In other words, he makes himself, there's something sure about what Jesus does. This is very important. And this is so important to the author of Hebrews because he keeps talking to the, the people about confidence. In other words, there's something about the priesthood of Jesus that makes something sure in your life. Sure in my life. Sure in this world. And if something is sure, then you can trust it. We can trust it with great confidence. Look at chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 6. Chapter 3, verse 6. And we are His house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. For we have come to share in Christ, 
if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then verse, chapter 10, verse 19. So turn over a few pages. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. And then finally, chapter 10, verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Brothers and sisters, today our confidence is in Jesus, who is a guarantee or a surety of a better covenant. Now, back to my question. Have you ever heard that word surety? We don't use it in our English very often. Anybody know where you've heard it? Where, where at Garrett? Did you say catechisms? Oh, contracts. Well, that's true, but Susan got it right. Did you say it, Susan? Our catechisms. If you would, pull our three questions up here, Pam. This, if you're visiting with us, we, through the years we do a children's catechism. And, and this is further along, but let me just read the, some of our questions here. As sinners, here's our question. How, can you, how then can you avoid God's curse? Answer. I am guilty, and I cannot avoid God's curse by any deeds that I can do. Next question. But yet, God is wonderful, good, and merciful. What has God done for redeeming these naughty ones? This is our children's catechism. It uses the word naughty. Answer. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ, God, man, to be our what? Our surety. Just leave it to someone 400 years ago to use that word. It's great. To be our surety, to redeem us, and to procure, another good word, all good to us. Next question. What did and what does this surety for? In other words, in other words how does Jesus being a guarantor of a new covenant, what's it look like in our lives? Answer. Christ was made a curse for us. Christ died for our naughtiness. He was laid in the grave. And God was fully satisfied. And released Him from that prison. He's talking about death. Took Him up to heaven. And set Him on His right hand what cool words in our catechism we're going to come back to it again in a minute but let me try and explain this a little bit further as we think about this word surety as we today in just a few minutes remember our lord's death so think about this word surety the de definition of the word if i were given a definition I've copied from some guys from a long time ago, but here's one definition. One person who, who does a surety, or this person, one who guarantees the reality of something. Boy, that fits well with the old covenant and the new. But one who guarantees the reality of something. 
So when someone asks us a question, we often say in our good southern English, I guarantee you that's going to happen. If you're from around here, we use, we use that all, I guarantee it. At least my family did. I guarantee it. I guarantee it's going to be hot in July around here. I guarantee that our taxes are going to keep going up. I could probably say I can guarantee you inflation is going to keep going up for some time. And Blaine's not even in here, and I have another illustration, fishing. If you go fishing with Blaine, I guarantee what? Y'all, I guarantee you'll enjoy your conversation with Blaine. You're probably going to, I can't guarantee it, but I've never been fishing with him when I haven't. But I guarantee, something that is surely going to take place. And we say these things because we want people to know that what we're saying is true. And they can rest on our words. Well, in the Old Testament, this word surety or guarantee takes on a deeper meaning. In the Old Testament, it's, it's more like a bondsman. So if someone go, commits a crime and they go to jail and they can't get out, then what does a bondsman do? They come and they give their own money and they put it up with great interest and they put their money so that that person can get out of jail until their trial. So that's really the, the meaning in this, of this word surety. So in the Old Testament, it's a person who pledges his name or his property or his influence in order to make sure something is done. It's kind of like, I guess, if you're a parent, whether it's a good decision or not, but uh, if your kid has no credit and you want to get them a credit card and they can't get a credit card and you sign for your son or your daughter to get a credit card. You maybe put $250 limit or something. What you're saying to the bank is, yeah, my son or my daughter, they certainly don't have any money. But, I, I, you know, you think they're going to give it back. I don't know if it's a really good decision or not. But the point is, you're saying, you know what, if they default on their loan, I got it. I'll take it. And the bank says, okay, you got some money, you got collateral, we're going to give you that. That is what a bondsman does. That is what a guarantor does. I am your surety. One of the best examples, let me give a couple from the scriptures, found in the story of Joseph. Probably throughout the years, my favorite story in the Bible. Joseph was sold into slavery, and then <clears throat> the story goes, you know, he rises to second in power in Egypt. Then, of course, seven years of famine, and they come. Jacob, back up in Canaan, is there with the other 11 sons. And they run out of food. So he sends the sons down to Egypt to buy food. And they go down. Um, at least nine. Let's see. There's 12. So 11. So 10 of the sons go down, goes down to Egypt because the father, Jacob, does not want to send Benjamin. Because he, he's already lost Joseph. So he thinks. So he doesn't want to lose Benjamin, the child of the same mother. And so he sends the other sons down. They go down to Egypt and he's got Benjamin back with him. They go down to Egypt, and while they're there, of course, Joseph knows who they are. And after he feeds them and gives them their, everything they're going to need and their provisions and their, their grain and sends them back, and the, you know the story, he says, oh, by the way, if you're telling me to make sure that you guys are telling me the truth, go home and bring your, youngest, your father's youngest son back to me. Because he wants to know if they're telling the truth or not. 
and says, and they're like, we can't, we can't do that, you know. Anyway, they give him the long story, and then Joseph says, you know what, we'll keep Simeon here, just, you know, as a pledge here. And so he keeps Simeon there, I don't know, implied, he's in prison, and they go back. Well, they don't come back for some time, so I guess Simeon's back down here. But finally, they run out of their provisions again. Famine continues, famine continues. So the father, <clears throat> Jacob, says to them, okay, you've got to go back and buy more, more grain. But they, then they tell the father, but this man told us if we did not come back with our youngest son or the youngest brother, then I'm not going to believe you and I'll know that you're really, you're, you're really thieves. So, do you remember what Judah says? One of the sons. Genesis 43, verses 8 and 9. Judah goes to his father, Jacob, and here's what he says. Send the boy with me, and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, because they're going to die if they don't get some food. They've got to go down there. So send him with me. Both we, you, and also our little ones. And then he says, I will be a pledge for his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. What he was saying was, Father, as much as in my power, I will guarantee his return. If not... I am to blame. I will be his surety. Another example from the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, do you remember, he writes to Philemon, or in Australia, how do y'all say it? Philemon, I think. He writes to Philemon about this escaped slave named Onesimus. And he, this Christian slave comes to Paul, and Paul writes to the owner, and he says, <clears throat> Philemon, I'm sending him back. But you know what? If he owes you anything, put that to my account. I will be his surety. I will pay you back. If he owes you anything, if he's done you any harm, if he's cost you any expenses, put it all to my, every bit of it, put it to my account. I will make it good. I will be your surety. Brothers and sisters, this morning, as we take the Lord's Supper, do you see the picture here concerning Christ. As the Son takes on His mission to do all that He has done to become, take on flesh and live a perfect life and die and all that He does, He says to the Father, charge to my account whatever my people owe you. And I will fully cover all of their debts. I will be their surety. I will be their guarantee. I will be their bondsman. Jesus Christ is the oath of God today as we remember His death. He is our confidence. Pull the catechism back up there again. Let's read it again. How then can you avoid God's curse? How can you? How can we avoid the curse of God as we are sinners for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God? And the wrath of God falls upon us. And if you were to try to give Him all of your debts that you owe Him, could you do that? Of course not. 
Answer, I am guilty. I cannot avoid God's curse by any deeds that I can do. Brothers and sisters, we need a bondsman because we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We need a surety. Question, next question. But yet God is wonderful, good, and merciful. What has God done for redeeming these naughty ones? Answer. God so loved the world. That's talking about the emphasis is on this sinful world. The sinful world, all of Adam's kin, that He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ, God-man, to be our surety. God Himself did, does what we cannot do. As sinners, we are in prison and we are in bondage to our sin and we have no hope, no hope whatsoever. And so He became our surety to redeem us and to procure, that's like, and to give us all good. Next question. What did, what does this surety for us? Christ was made a curse for us. Christ was sinless. He didn't become a sinner. But He took on our sin by way of imputation. It's a mystery. As we take on Adam's sin, He takes on our sin in the same way. In this way, He became a curse. So when God looked at the Son, He saw sin, death, that we deserved. It fell upon Him. Christ died for our naughtiness. Which of us has not been naughty this week? Which of us has been perfect? Which of us have not got upset or lost our patience a bit or said something we didn't, shouldn't have said or not been obedient to our parents or said something against one of our sisters or brothers or, or slandered someone or gossiped? or looked at something we shouldn't have looked at on the internet, or listened to something we shouldn't have listened to, or not been obedient to what God has asked us and commanded us to do, whatever it is. Which of us? We need a surety. Christ died for our naughtiness, our sins. And is it still there? Was laid in the grave. He died. Just as we will do. And many have gone before us. And God was fully satisfied. There's the sacrifice of the old system. The blood of bulls and goats could never take away sins. There's the old system. Can't go back to that. Just to think in some of our end time thoughts that we're going to rebuild temples and start the sacrificial system over again. I can't go there. Because Christ has fulfilled this. Christ <clears throat> has done what those animals could not do. And He released Him from that prison. That's, He rose from the dead. And He took Him up to heaven and set Him on His right hand. If we go back and I think of the Old Testament and I think of the main figures, I think of Adam and Eve, what do they do after they sinned? They cowered. 
And they feared. They didn't have much confidence, did they? They didn't want to approach God. But God they tried to cover themselves with, <clears throat> with fig leaves because their sins had not been covered. Though they did have hope in God's promise. I think of Noah and his family were under great fear as the waters came and rescinded. But of course, there was hope. But in the midst of all of their sin, even as immediately it was over, we see the sin of Noah, sin of Ham. I imagine there wasn't much confidence. Abraham, man of great faith, but as he considered his own sins, he sacrificed those animals, all in hope of God's promise, but not in, in the greatest of confidence. Think of David, as he considered his sins of murder and theft and lying and adultery, on and on we could go. He knew that he could not trust in the blood of bulls and goats. But there, there was hope in God's promise. I think back to one the, maybe the oldest Bible book we have with Job. Very little confidence. But there was hope because he knew that his Redeemer lived. And he would see him upon the earth one day. Brothers and sisters, Jesus says today, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me. He says to us today, Remember, my blood was the payment for your sins. It was payment for your confidence, because I am your surety. So when God looked upon the sacrifice of the Son, He was fully satisfied. And today, it isn't merely that your sins are forgiven in this new covenant. But you now have everything that you need for life and godliness. He's given it all to us. All of the good gifts of God, all the promises of God. It's like when I spoke earlier about that seed that came out and made into the big tree or the treasure chef that comes out. This is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. In him, all of God's promises are yes. In him, all of that old system is fulfilled. And he will lead us into all truth. And he has given us the Holy Spirit, and He will lead us through this life and all the way to heaven, and He will give us everything that He has. And we will worship Him forever. Brothers and sisters, today Jesus Christ is God's oath. He is the guarantor of a better covenant. The old system with the animals could never be a surety. They could never wash away sins. The old priesthood under Mosaic law, the old covenant was only a guardian until the new would come in the person and work of Christ. And so with that in mind, in closing, as we take the Lord's Supper, I want us all to be encouraged with some words <clears throat> from Hebrews chapter 10. Excuse me, it's not Hebrews chapter 10. I have, I have missed my, my quotation, and so somebody help me here. But I'm going to read these words, okay? You might know exactly where they are. <clears throat> Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... 
by the new and living way that He's opened to us through the curtain. That is, through His flesh. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. Let's pray together and then I'll lead us as we take the Lord's Supper. Heavenly Father, thank You for today. Thank You for this time that we can remember our Lord's death in this way and You've given us this command to take the Lord's Supper until You come back. And I pray that You would help us to know that Christ is our surety and that's in that we remember. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as we drink it, we remember Him. Help us, Father, to know that All of our sins, past, present, future, are covered. We don't have to work for them. We're saved by grace, through faith, and this is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we look unto Him today, and I pray that you would give us special grace to know that as we take and eat real wafers and real juice, and that will nourish our bodies Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. So I pray that you would help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove, to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church, China Grove. You can also join us at the South Rowan YMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.